major thing happening over the next 12 to 18 months is the introduction of 5G in many, many different networks. And we've announced a number of contracts and we are going to make them happen. With this, we're at the first time introducing cloud native technologies into our customers' network, providing container-based deployments, mainly in central side. At the same time, what we will see is that customers would like to leverage and engage in edge deployments or distributed cloud scenarios using, for example, 5G user plane functions and, and the local breakout. Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Now, today I have the privilege of having in the studio with me, Peter Verndley. And now I hope I got your last name there right. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Des. Thanks for having me. And you got my last name perfectly right. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I'll admit that we uh, practiced it a couple of times. Now, uh, again, thanks for joining us. It's been great. I've been looking forward to catching up with you on the show. Now, you are an expert in network function virtualization at Ericsson, which I'd like to delve into in a great uh, amount of detail there. A number of our listeners are very keen in this space, particularly in the telco area, as I'm sure you know all too well. Before we do that, though, uh, I'd like to just take a moment to get to know you a little bit better and, and introduce you to our audience and listeners. Could you maybe just give us a little brief background on yourself, where you're from originally, where you grew up, any fun little anecdotes uh, of your education and career path, and I guess how you came to be in Ericsson in this exciting role? Sure. Um, actually, I grew up in the in the south of Germany in a like small village close to uh, close to the mountains. This is also where the where the name come from comes from, or actually the name comes from the the mountainous region in northern Italy where my dad's from. Um, oh, wow. Therefore, they the interesting pronunciation and the interesting spelling. Um, but that also got me to love everything around around mountains. Um, I like being outside, just hit on my mountain bike, ride, ride the trails, go go hiking, and just being outside. I'm a passionate photographer. I go around, take pictures of mountains and so forth. And um, this is where I spent actually my whole whole childhood, um, close to mountains in outside in the nature. Um, and then I moved um, to Aachen in North Rhine-Westphalia um, to study electrical engineering. Um, started with uh, like basic basic electrical engineering skills and then moved more into communication technologies. Um, it's, uh, it was a bit sad that I had to go away from the, from the mountains, but it was at that time where it still is, um, uh, a university with a very good reputation for electrical engineering, um, which of course was super exciting for me at that, at that point in time. Um, so moving up then to to Aachen, um, studied electrical engineering, and actually at that time I already got in contact with with Ericsson. We have a an R and D site here close to Aachen, which um, is still having a very good collaboration with the with the university. At that time, we still had an own an own institute sponsored um, by Ericsson for mobile communications um, at the university, and this is where I got in contact uh, first. And then a friend told me he actually worked during studies for, for Ericsson um, as an intern. Um, and he introduced me to some of his colleagues. And that was my first uh, touch with Ericsson. And ever since then, I'm kind of making my way through the, through the company in different roles and different uh, types of work. Wow. What was the thing that uh, you think, was there an epiphany or a moment where you sort of decided you were going to go into the networking side of technology? Or was it just something you grew into over time? 
I, I was always interested in, in actually computer networks. Um, it's, um, I mean, we, we had this, um, we had this uh, computer gaming sessions at home, and then we started with like token ring networks and um, trying to get uh, computers together. And then we, we saw, okay, we could also exchange files and chat and, and stuff like that. And I was always super excited in, in, that, in that tech. And then um, this friend who worked for Ericsson told me that he's he's maintaining this huge server farm um, where they do a lot of tests, actually with virtualization at that that time already. Um, and we got to talk, and he was, yeah, it was just super exciting. It was basically exactly the stuff I've done in my private time, um, fiddling around with networks, getting things up and running, um, trying out what's what's new in, in in tech. And Ericsson offered all of that at that time. You must be in Nirvana then. I, I remember those days myself. I was never a gamer, but I was the person that used to design the LANs, and uh, I ran an ISP at the time, so we used to have hundreds of uh, network switches lying around for development and R&D. So I would turn up in a, in a car with uh, dozens and dozens of these things, roll them out, build a network in this whole hall, a university hall of hundreds and hundreds of people turn up and just expect a RJ45 cable at the table, and away they'd go and shoot at each other all weekend. And I think we used to charge them like $5 a seat for the day. So I'm sure you're in Nirvana now that uh, you're playing with networking. Well, that's an amazing background. I, uh, I think we're kindred souls in that uh, I'm an amateur photographer myself, which I'm sure is no secret after you've been following me on for Twitter for a while. Uh, I'm into bridges and buildings myself, but I can relate to mountains because they're pretty awe-inspiring things. Um, and uh, like you, I'm a big fan of riding around the bike, but uh, I'm off the bike at the moment, which I won't go into because... Uh, there is a bunch of gravity involved and uh, an unfortunate experience at the end of it. But that's part of mountain biking, I guess. Now, being an expert in network function virtualization, or NFV as we call it uh, at Ericsson, is, it's just an awesome title. It must look pretty cool on a business card. Tell us a little bit about the role. What does that role entail? I imagine it's fairly broad uh, from sort of you know, design, engineering, planning, and, and, and leading a team all the way through to implementation, design, and working with clients. What can you tell us about that role as, as being an expert in network function virtualization at Ericsson? What's a day in the life of uh, Peter like? It is actually very broad, and just that makes it extremely exciting. I get to deal with so many different things, both in technology as well as in what I'm actually doing in, in, in Ericsson. I mean, from, the, from a technology point of view, it really covers everything from the actual execution platform, um, dealing with OpenStack, dealing with um, now Kubernetes for cloud-native applications or container-based applications. Um, the orchestration is, of course, involved how to get actual applications out into the deployments. But it's also a lot about um, the applications themselves. I mean, how how do you actually leverage all this cool tech we get from the um, from the underlying platforms at this point in time? So it's it's really uh, a full-blown concept. And then, I mean, what we've seen over the last few years is that going into network function virtualization, there's also a big um, organizational and, and ways of working transformation coming coming with it. So that is only just something which I, from a technology side, touch at uh, more at the borders or at the edge of what I'm doing. Um, but it's super interesting to to learn from, from other people in Ericsson who actually do this transformation and how tech involves or uh, actually shapes that that transformation and what the technology can actually do to help transforming or potentially even to to hinder or to to um, to make it harder to transform um, an organization um, so if I would have to say what I do day to day um, it's every day is very different for me um, I, I have calls with 
customers. I work with customers directly in concrete, um, concrete deployment projects. Um, I mean, network function virtualization has really moved from an idea and a concept to something we're rolling out in in production. Um, so I'm talking actual. Um, deployments, commercial deployments. Um, but there is also like the whole cloud native world, which we just started or the whole industry just started to um, to get into um, making use of container technologies. And there's a lot of education and explaining we go out to do with um, with our customers, with our partners, but also internally with our with our R&D stuff is how to properly use that, um, that technology we have at hand. I imagine there's a lot of work, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can imagine that you've got this uh, interesting challenge of the internal facing work that you're doing around uh, design patterns and engineering and testing and lab work and R&D and probably some education internally and evangelizing on the technology and capabilities within Ericsson globally, as well as the industry and the clients uh, as a whole in that there's a whole new vocab and language that goes with everything around software-defined X, whether it's software-defined, software-defined infrastructure or software-defined networking, and the whole world of transitioning to becoming cloud-native. How do you how do you juggle that uh, as far as your day-to-day work goes? Do you end up in a scenario where you've got time to focus on your own R&D and development and design and documentation, and then other days where you do internal-focused, and then other industry focus and with clients? Because I know you were at events recently as... Early, you know, some, I think it was like November last year, I remember seeing uh, one of your presentations at uh, Software Defined Networking World Congress on Kubernetes. Is there a structure to that or do you end up just bouncing from place to place to, to do as much as you possibly can? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess we're always doing as much as we, as we possibly can. But um, one interesting thing is, and then I've seen that coming with um, network function virtualization or cloud-native deployments, as well as... Um, the use of open source actually fosters that our customers are more and more interested in how we're actually building our applications. So the talk to our own R&D people um, is becoming very similar to what I'm actually going out and discuss with our customers. They are interested in, okay, what databases are you using? Um, What network design is your application using internally? It's It's not this... Um, okay, I have one application from one vendor which has to talk to an application from another vendor, and the only thing our our customers are interested in is the communication between those two entities. They're actually interested in how the application looks like, how does it behave, how is it being deployed, and so forth. What open source components are we using within our applications? So when I'm going out, I'm talking a lot about um, how Kubernetes helps us to design our own applications. How do we change our own development flow to make use of Kubernetes? From a customer, essentially, in the end, it's it's a black box because what they're using is the function of the of that virtual network function, of that containerized network function, and the external interfaces. But still, they're interested in understanding how it actually works, how it's how it's being built. So we we bring together, and there is a huge competence raise also on our customer side in terms of understanding the VNF itself or the virtual network function itself. It's a fun challenge, I imagine. And in a number of conversations with, with some of your peers inside Ericsson uh, broadly, uh, we've talked about this where I referred to this concept where I think Ericsson became its own customer, its its own first customer in, in the digital transformation of its own organization, the shift to becoming a cloud-native company, all the fun work around redesigning, re-engineering around that, and and then deploying, you know, the the operational support systems OSS and the business support systems VSS as 
refactored code, re-engineered models, uh, cloud native under Docker, running on Kubernetes, instantiated on demand, and, and <clears throat> in many ways, you know, not so much serverless, but that's sort of uh, a Lambda model. You were in effect, in my mind, your own first customer, and you proved that it all worked before you even took it to the market. What's the reaction been to from the industry with that when they sort of ask you how you went through this journey? Are they surprised that you've actually treated yourself as a client and become the first customer to prove and build it? Or is that an assumption that you were going to do that and uh, make sure that it was going to work before you took it to the market? Um, actually, I think they were positively surprised. I mean, the customers I've been, been talking to and when we explained to them how we've changed our development process um, or how we've changed the design of our applications and going with that, our development process, um, they were quite positive in seeing that change in Ericsson. Um, I mean, we have a really long history and there has been innovation in our development process um, all the time when we went to to Agile from Waterfall to Agile. and. Um, there were changes. All, there were changes all the time. But as I said, um, it's now customers becoming more interested in how we actually build um, applications. And now we can go out. We have actually a very sophisticated and efficient pipeline and procedure to build applications to leverage the underlying platforms um, using CI/CD, for example, in in combination with cloud-native applications um, and our our platform. Um, so customers are, are very positively surprised hearing that, okay, we're doing all of this and it's actually in, in place. And some of them even ask, okay, can you extend that CI CD loop into our networks um, so we can even make more use of how you build your applications to be even faster to get innovation out more quickly? Yeah, I remember last year at uh, TM Forum's Digital Transformation World for the telco industry talking to the team at Intel and uh, they were going through this whole journey with your support uh, uh, through the digital transformation journey as an organization and, and how they, uh, I guess, their cultural behavioral shift in that. And then, of course, the underlying platform with the support of Ericsson to deploy that became become a, a cloud-based telco operator. And one of the comments they had was that, you know, this seemed like at the outset they were going to have to go and jump in the deep end and just go all in. But what they learned was that you walked them through, Ericsson, that is, walked them through this journey in, an, in a natural sort of iterative small steps process. They didn't have to boil the ocean. They just did it in little bite-sized chunks. And they were really positively surprised that they could do things like keep Windows native things and keep the existing databases or keep current network design and slowly migrate the relevant pieces in as opposed to just, you know, hit it with a big stick and expect it to reboot. And I imagine that's something you're seeing around the market now because it can't be the case that everybody is at the same level of capability. I'm sure that, you know, uh, if an organization comes to you and they've been a client for 20, 30 years and you've been rolling out routers and switches and servers and, and storage and NAS and SAN and firewalls and now they're having to do this all in a cloud model, they don't just flip a switch overnight and become a cloud company. They've got to do it in, in key stages. Is there, a, is there a trend towards this slow iterative model with your support or, or are com some companies just saying, give it all to us and we'll, we'll jump in the deep end? Uh, we, we certainly also have companies who approach us in the first um, in the first place asking for okay we want everything and we want this radical change and um, I mean we've seen with um, Rakuten for example who've started very green field they managed to actually get this radical change they they've said okay we, we don't look at what was behind us and we just start from from a green field and I think actually they've done 
really interesting work for the whole in- industry to also to also look at. However, I think in most of our customers, they have an existing they have an existing network, and for them, it typically makes more sense to take a, a step-by-step uh, approach. They introduce virtualization, they introduce cloud concepts. Um, typically, they start with like virtualization, virtualization of a few uh, few nodes in the network. Um, they start with virtualization of a specific use case. Um, typically, not starting with mobile broadband from the very beginning, um, but start with specific services, and then they grow grow from there. They grow into new technologies. Um, now we see the introduction of container-based technologies, Kubernetes, as we talked about. Um, but also, they start then now slowly to grow out into into the network and and towards uh, towards the edge. Um, I think we have learned from a lot of um, the engagements we had with customers. Start step by step. Introduce new technologies step by step. Don't do don't do the big the big bang, but grow your existing infrastructure to become virtualization ready, to become uh, cloud enabled, and then move into into cloud native. There'll be an interesting uh, trend, I'm sure, that, uh, as you said, you've got a number of incumbents that are you know, big brands. Uh, I, I think when I had the privilege of being at the OSSBSS user group in New York uh, recently, late last year, there were something like 61 telco carriers and operators under the same roof at your event, uh, and all getting along very well, which is interesting. They're all talking about co-competing, co-opting, et cetera. But I think there's a. I'm keen to get your insight in this. I think there's going to be a trend where we have new operators who aren't necessarily full-blown telcos, but are offering telco-type services. And I, I think about what we're doing with the likes of uh, WeChat and and Skype and WhatsApp, where you've got these apps that are basically a button on a phone or on the web, and you can effectively use them to make calls. In the middle there somewhere, there must be a space where there's new services, new differentiators who would go all greenfield and and instantly turn things on. Uh, but there's also the other inspector, as you said, where uh, there's some very, you know, 61 telcos under one roof, in this case, the, the OSSBSS user group, who had a very large sunk cost in infrastructure out there in cable in the ground, stuff on poles, wires, uh, all the way through to the data center and distributed data centers. Uh, even if they wanted to switch it overnight, they've got long-term return on investment to recover just the operating cost of some of that infrastructure. With the rollout of 5G, um, I'd be keen to sort of get your thoughts on some of the big trends coming in this space because I think 5G gives everybody a chance to step back and, and think about some of those big challenges you've been talking about there as to where do they start, where do they get some of the quick wins, you know, do they start with fixed wireless access and start to put some stuff out there in the small to medium-sized business and then enterprise space or FPOS terminals, uh, do they try and look at mobility, enterprise mobility devices and, and business handsets? With what you're doing with network function virtualization and, and all the work around that, from a trend point of view, what are you seeing as far as 5G goes? Uh, what are the big moving parts that people are looking to adopt early on? Where do you think people are getting the, the early quick wins or where they believe they'll get those quick wins? So, I mean, um, I think the hot, hottest topic when it comes to uh, 5G in combination with virtualization or network function virtualization um, is really, on the one hand side, okay, when we deploy 5G core, it needs to be state-of-the-art um, technology underlying. So um, either virtual machine-based deployment or container-based cloud-native deployment. Um, we in Ericsson, we have said, we go all the way and we say our 5G core is cloud-native and our customers very much appreciate that. Um, 
new technologies, new design principles, and all the characteristics coming with it, scalability, robustness, and so forth. Um, on the other hand side, I think um, one of the hot things coming up at, at the moment is really, um, okay, how can we enable new business with, um, with 5G? And there, one of the, the big topics is edge computing, edge deployment in combination with uh, local breakout enabled by, by 5G user plane functions. Right, and this seems to be really a new topic where new value could be generated. Well, there's definitely a lot of excitement around the uh, Internet of Things, and particularly the industrial Internet of Things, and the ability to put uh, either dumb or smart sensors out in in various uh, places, like whether it's agricultural, transport, or big infrastructure. Uh, one of my favorites here is Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh, you know, wiring that thing up and making sure it's healthy. So I can imagine that there's an opportunity now where. Uh, as you're just saying now, that if we deploy some form of edge compute capability and edge networking, we can avoid that scenario of those uh, potentially petabytes of data coming from the sensors having to crawl across the whole network and and uh, you know keep that workload as close to the sensors as possible and bring back the metadata. What kind of use cases do you think we're going to see in this space as we see this deployment of 5G and the early adoption of 5G and some of these use cases to monetize it? Because I guess that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? It's the underpinning need to, to derive business value from their investment and monetize it. Are there any example use cases that you're seeing uh, stand out above others, uh, particularly with not just 5G de- adoption deployment, but the edge computing piece? So for the moment, I think what, what's What's being discussed quite broadly is um, AR and, and VR applications where we need low latency towards the, um, the consumer or the end, end devices. Um, there is a few industrial applications as well, particularly when it comes to low latency applications controlling uh, or control loops um, close to, to the edge, controlling machinery, controlling uh, robots and, and so forth. And we've shown a number of um, examples on that on Mobile World Congress and other uh, industry events with the with the spider uh, being controlled uh, via 5G 5G network moving their legs individually. Um, it, those are very let's say visual um, visual use cases. I think overall um, the single killer use case has not been discovered at this point in time. When I think of of edge computing, it's it's really something which needs to be flexible and scalable enough when you roll it out so you can actually address new use cases fairly quickly and with a low uh, initial investment. So once you've rolled out your your platform, and my view here is really grow from your central slides slides slowly out into the network because the the, the more you go into the network, the more costly and the more hard it will be to manage those those sites. Um, and if you start growing from your central sites into central offices, into like slowly out into the network, you keep your investments under control for the for the platform and you can start to address different use cases gradually. Um, and this is also when we when we look at, at what we are building out with our uh, with our portfolio. We have Ericsson NFVI, um, we have Ericsson Edge NFVI. Um, and then we have, we'll have deep edge in the, in the future as well. So also from a solution point of view, we're building up from the central sites out towards the edge, uh, towards the edge of the network, enabling a unified platform for you to, or for our customers to um, enable new um, new use cases um, and quickly enable them. And what we've 
try to make sure is that we actually have a system which uses open industry standard APIs, such as OpenStack or, or Kubernetes APIs. So for a application developer, for third-party application developer, it's they have APIs which they're used to already from working with the big uh, web scale players like Google or Amazon or so. Um, so we have already from the beginning by the APIs we're using, we have a huge ecosystem of applications which can make use of the edge. And if we have that ecosystem, I am pretty sure that we will see soon that we have like the use cases coming up or the solutions being available to build actually new use cases. I guess that's one of the big benefits of, of going with the likes of uh, OpenStack and not so much just because it's open source, but because it is a proven, tried and tested platform that the likes of CERN and uh, uh, Rackspace and, and NASA and others have already run at scale. And with the work you've done in uh, Nova in particular and, and Heat with deployment, you've managed to get the, the number of nines you need to drive telco uh, requirements. Uh, now you've got these open APIs that are fairly standard across model platforms. So if... if all of the telcos or most of the telcos are running similar open APIs. That brings a lot of the risk and development cost down, I guess, because you're not having to rewire everything for every different platform and network. Um, I did like the example you gave with regard to the augmented reality and virtual reality, because I've seen this in big industrial spaces where, uh, and I won't name the vendors, uh, they don't need any more free advertising from us, but two or three of the largest companies in the world that do uh, service delivery, uh, field maintenance, data center work, they're deploying human beings that are low-skilled, uh, new entrants into the market, going out to look at routers and switches and servers and storage and other various things or electronics and machines and things that go hum. But they have this central team on a call center so that when you go out there, you hold a tablet or a smartphone over the thing, streaming video, and you have augmented reality that has a little arrow that says push that button to reset. And so you don't actually need any knowledge about the device. You just need to follow a little red button and make your finger push the the reset button and the specialists are all back in a call center effectively managing multiple people in the field and at the other side of things the virtual reality piece i've seen people using it for trading desks where they're moving massive amounts of data in and out of real-time high frequency trading platforms and they're literally doing that uh, mission impossible style thing with the uh, tom cruise waving his arms around and virtual desktops and i've seen these live demos thinking this is amazing but how are we going to drive it and then all of a sudden it was like well 5g can do that i guess you know high throughput low latency and so forth. Um, when you think about that transition you were talking about from centralized deployment initially out through to you know, near edge and then edge, how far down the network do we go, do you think, as far as that edge compute and edge networking goes? It, I mean, is, is there a threshold where it doesn't make sense to go any further down that? are we? Because I know that you know, you've got uh, centralized data center capability that you already offer. You've got, uh, uh, I guess, you know, regional and rural capabilities where you're rolling out stuff in smaller data centers or smaller computer rooms. And I've even seen the demo, I think it was Mobile World Congress 2018, there was a, a smaller sort of five-slot uh, uh, rack mount style thing. I think it was like a VME bus thing that was running a micro instance of uh, OpenStack and Kubernetes that could be sitting on a pole. So I can imagine you've got the centralized data centers and then customer data centers and computer rooms and enterprise spaces and then things on the pole. Uh, how far do we take that? that virtual function function of the network uh you know, i mean there must be a point where the network sort of gets to the point where you can't virtualize everything 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the question is one, okay, how, how much can we, how many functions can we, can we virtualize in, in the network, um, which I think is a, is a parallel thing to, okay, how, how far can we drive out third-party applications or edge workloads into, into the network? Um, now, I think when it comes to deploying third-party applications, um, we will see over time on what is the sweet spot to go out. I mean, as I, as I said before, the further you go out, uh, into the network, the more complicated it becomes to maintain and, and lifecycle your your infrastructure out out there. I mean, when you have like ten thousands or or hundreds of thousands of sites um, with close to base stations, for example, it, it becomes a huge amount of infrastructure um, you have to manage. I mean, we we have the technology in place. I mean, we're deploying, for example, x86 based servers fairly um, fairly far out into into the network. Um, which we could make use of to um, run also edge applications. Um, but here again, I would like to highlight that the best thing is really to grow out from, from the central sites. The technology is there to enable edge computing fairly or quite far out in, into the network, very close to the base stations. Um, and then it will, we will see if there is a use case which justifies the investment and, and the operational complexity to run that far out in, in the network. We can enable that. The technology, the technology is there. But I think we should grow slowly with, together with the use cases where we see, um, okay, where does it make most sense to place the applications? Also, I think even if we enable um, edge deployments really far out into the network, it will be, there will be a sweet spot for each and every application where to places in the net, in the network? Um, of course, infrastructure is becoming more um, costly the more out we are in the network. Um, but that also means that running an application there becomes more more costly in the end. So it is important that we have an orchestration which actually allows us to place the application exactly in the place in the network in in the distributed cloud, where it actually meets the requirements or the service level agreements for the for the application, um, but at the lowest possible cost. So it might be the case that I'm not moving it to the very far edge or deep edge, but I'm actually moving it closer to my central data centers, still maintaining maintaining the SLAs, um, which in turn also is a requirement on how we're actually exposing that functionality. An application developer doesn't want to understand the topology of of a mobile of a mobile network with central offices and base station sites and whatsoever, they're just mainly interested in okay, how does my application perform? How is my latency to my towards my towards the devices um, I'm connecting to? Um, and this should be part of the API. So the API should describe um, an SLA on connectivity, potentially an SLA on on um, on availability. And then the orchestration and the management system should figure out where to place that application to meet this. And the application developer shouldn't have to deal with like all the local breakout connectivity um, or the, the actual physical location of the application. There must be an interesting challenge, uh, and we could probably do a whole show on this, but an interesting challenge around the fact that some of these platforms, I mean, not so much Linux uh, as a platform uh, from the Docker uh, Container space, but uh, you know, even Docker and Kubernetes and 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 network function virtualization as a whole. I mean, they're still fairly new technologies, and we're building big, complex things. I know that you know public cloud operators have been running them for a substantial number of years and proven the case that they're su successful and secure and stable. 
Uh, but I'm, I'm sure there's some interesting challenges around just uh, getting people to even just get their head around what you're talking about there with the need to now start thinking about it at, at an application level. I had a conversation recently with somebody in the financial services space in a bank, and they're still struggling with virtual machines. And when I was talking to them about what's going to happen with the deployment of 5G and how they can leverage it, and I was highlighting exactly some of the things you're talking about there, and that is that, you know, think about refactoring your apps so that the app could potentially run in a container on a smartphone, on a tablet, on a laptop, on a workstation, on a desk-side server, uh, in a cloud somewhere. It could be a telco native cloud. It could be a hybrid telco enterprise cloud. It could be a public cloud. Stop worrying about the infrastructure that it's going to run on and create some rules for it to figure out where's the best place for it to run. So uh, if the app knows I'm just looking at my banking dashboard, maybe it runs locally on my device. If it needs to do a lot of heavy lifting and wants to run a thousand cores to do a five-year plan on my investment portfolio, it needs to burst into the cloud and get me a bunch more cores. And their eyes sort of lit up when, oh, we get that. <laughs> we understand that because we do that with money. We move money from our central banking location out to the, the branches when people want to get cash and, and do payrolls versus just getting money out of the ATM. And it was interesting to see that, that eureka moment, that little aha moment when the light went on, like, oh, we understand that. That's distribu- distribution and we do that. And I've had similar conversations with people around content delivery networks. Uh, there's an interesting thing that I'd love to uh, just quickly get your thoughts on. Will we see a scenario in the short term or is this a long-term thing where a lot of the work we're seeing done on services level that essentially become apps delivering these or microservices, are we going to see a time when they can cross uh, boundaries between one carrier and another? And an example might be that I place a call, I'm doing some online e-commerce with a, a store or whatever, and I'm talking on one telco and the service moves with me and then maybe it goes to another telco cloud that's better to service me from a cost point of view or a connectivity point of view. How far are we away from that point where there's a blurring of the lines between one telco and another with service delivery where two telcos at the moment might carry voice and some data? Uh, Is there a place where eventually we get this uh, blurring of lines of whose cloud's who and, uh, you know, the value of propers to offer more services at a better price point? It's it's a very interesting question you, you're raising here, um, and I actually got a very similar question from a from a customer recently asking, okay, this whole um, edge computing thing, how, how does that work if if my customers are roaming, um, which is exactly the case you you're describing. Um, the the point here is that I think the the technology we we have at our hands at the moment lends itself very well to set up these kind of kind of things. I mean, when we come from different virtualization technologies um, where we are still struggling with harmonization to, to a certain extent, I mean, yes, we have OpenStack as being the big, big thing, but then we have different versions and so forth. Um, with Kubernetes or container-based deployments, we see much more of a, of a harmonization in terms of how applications are, are packaged. Um, we have uh, the open container interface. We have um, Docker images, for example. So there is a much more of a, of a harmonization um, in, in terms of how your apps are, are being packaged. Plus, um, and this is actually something we, from an Ericsson point of view, are driving as well, is within the Cloud Native Compute Foundation, um, a group of, of telecom operators and, and vendors have formed in um, what is the telecom user group, um, trying to specify a baseline of um, Kubernetes functionality, which would we would expect um, from any 
telco-enabled Kubernetes deployment. So we can actually make sure then that if we build an app for those types of deployments, we can actually deploy them on any operator's um, on any operator's um, environment. And then at the second hand, and I think this is an, an important factor here as well, is edge computing, as I said beforehand, will live a lot of the ecosystem we can build around when it comes to applications and application developers. This will essentially create the enabler for building applications or building use cases services for, for the edge. Now, the big web scale players will play a role in there. So, and they could potentially take the aggregation across multiple multiple operators. So each and every operator will run their their edge infrastructure, but connected, let's say, for example, to, to an Amazon um, ecosystem. So for an application developer, they just say, okay, I want edge, edge capacity, and that edge capacity could be potentially in any in any operator, um, or at least with, within the same operator who has global operations. And then since the technology we use is the same, we could move applications from or redeploy applications um, from one location or from one operator's environment into the next operator's environment. It's going to be an exciting future for us. I know uh, I had uh, your associate, uh, Gareth Price, who's the practice head for the uh, core cloud and security consulting part of the business uh, based out of UK and London. And uh, I know that they've just released uh, the Ericsson uh, Telco Cloud uh, survey looking into uh, what's happening in the space of, of this whole transition to cloud and some of the, the challenges around the security piece of it. And so, you know, some of the stuff you're talking there where we, we're moving not just within the telco, but multiple telcos and, and then hybrid cloud spaces and potentially your own enterprise cloud locally or virtualized environment, uh, that's going to create a whole bunch of new interesting fun challenges. So I guess this is where standard designs uh, are going to be quite critical that we have uh, when we think about cloud design principles and, and, and templated uh, uh, application models and templated stacks uh, the more we can standardize, the, I guess, the less we end up with these uh, overlapping edges of gaps where security could become an issue. Where where do you see, um, I mean, there's some, you mentioned some really exciting spaces that I think are going to be big wins in uh, 5G, because I think one of the things that I, I often say to people is that don't think about 5G as, as just another G. You know, we had sort of not really 2G, but radio, and then 3G and 4G, and we sort of went from 3G being mostly voice and 4G we enabled I guess, more of a data stack and, and we, we were able to do audio and video streaming. And, uh, you know, on one side, we had companies doing security cameras, uh, monitoring buildings and things. And the other side, we had people doing Netflix. When we think about some of the areas you're talking about with robotics and, and large infrastructure and machinery and, and, and autonomous things in particular, and as you said, that, that uh, low latency, high throughput sort of closed loop, as it were, are there any particular industry groups that you think are going to be early adopters ahead of others? I mean, that's probably a hard question, but I know like there's a lot of work being done in uh, inside factories around robotics because uh, people want to scale their manufacturing engineering. They don't really want to remove people from jobs, but they want to remove people from risky jobs and give them smarter, simpler jobs or easier jobs to do without losing an arm and leg. The other end of the spectrum, you've got transport with autonomous things, you know, everything down to delivering pizzas. Are there any examples you've seen that that were able to or may be able to be early adopted to the space and get a win over other spaces that may be a bigger, slower-moving industries? I know, for example, aviation would love to do this, but it's probably a, a higher-risk space to make big changes, whereas in a factory floor you could you could do some trials and prove it works 
quicker than maybe an airplane flying through the air. Yeah. And, and this is exactly where we see um, a lot of the 5G deployments being happen. I mean, um, being in being in Germany or, or um, working in Germany, um, we see a lot of 5G deployments with um, with car manufacturers or the automotive industry in general. I think just this week we had a press release um, for the Ego Smart Factory, which we've done together with um, Vodafone, um, Ego and, and Ericsson producing or having a whole highly automated production of electric cars, actually very close to, to Aachen, um, where, where I live. Um, so we see a, a lot and it's exact we see a lot of these deployments or the 5g um, pickup and also edge deployments um, with car manufacturing or the automotive industry um, both for like manufacturing use cases but as well as for um, for mobile use cases where we have this um, 5g test track um, in on the a9 autobahn here in in Germany as well um, and it's exactly what you what you said beforehand. Um, on on the on the shop floor, they have for um, for this ego factory. They're actually trying to um, provide the the data um, on the particular cars or on the particular part which has to be uh, integrated into the car via 5G network to the actual mechanic who is then building up the car or or is operating a, a machine there. Um, as you said, trying to remove them. Uh, also, in, with the use of um, uh, of robots from um, from dangerous jobs or heavy lifting jobs, for for example, um, and I think the shop floor of a of a car manufacturer actually lends itself very well to deploy these kind of technologies, where you have you have moving parts. I mean, all the, the car parts and and the readily built cars or half built cars are moving autonomously through the shop floor anyway. So you have a certain degree of, of mobility, but at the same time, you have a fairly controlled environment not being out in the in the open area with pedestrians and, and so forth. I'd love to get you to do a little bit of uh, crystal ball gazing for me uh, before we wrap up. Uh, I mean, there's some amazing insights you've shared there around what you're uh, doing inside your role and, and where the industry is going and some of the trends that we're seeing out there. Uh, particularly around uh, what's happening at the platform layer inside the cloud and and, and you know containerization with cloud native apps and and the instantiation and, and management of those in, in you know, I guess, clustering of them in Kubernetes and deployment. But uh, as my final question, maybe if I can, uh, I'd love to get you to uh, gaze into a virtual crystal ball for me and get a sense of uh, you know, where these trends are taking us in the future. This is a, a very rapid, fast-paced uh, uh, industry sector at the moment. So I, often I ask between three to five years for manufacturing and other spaces, but in the telco space, I think I'd love to get your, your sort of next 12 to 18 months. Where are we going the next year, year and a half in this whole space? What's your general sense, given you are literally at the bleeding edge of all of these and, and you're hands-on as a practitioner as well as a, an industry, uh, in many ways an analyst, seeing where they're going and advising? What, what do we need to be thinking about? What do we, where do we see these things going uh, over the next sort of 12 to 18 months uh, and what should people be thinking about and what sort of conversation should they be uh, running internally? So what I can see, I mean, the major thing happening over the next 12 to 18 months is the introduction of 5G in, in many, many different different networks. I mean, we've announced a number of contracts and we are going to make them happen over the next uh, 12 to, to 18 months. Um, with this, we're at the first time introducing cloud native technologies into our customers' networks. We're providing container-based 
um, deployments, mainly in central sites. At the same time, what we will see over the next 12 months is that customers would like to leverage and engage in edge deployments or distributed cloud um, scenarios using, for example, 5G user plane functions and, and the local breakout distributing user plane functions using the local breakout here. Um, so we will see this happening. The network's growing from the central NFVI sites, NFV infrastructure sites into edge NFV infrastructure and then potentially into, into the deep, deep edge. And I think what, I, what is crucial for, for operators is to avoid having a zoo of different platform stacks when they move out into, into the network. So we see network function virtualization or Etsy-based um, network function virtualization deployments a lot in the central, in the central sites, adopting OpenStack, adopting uh, Kubernetes, hopefully in, in the future. We're, we're working on as well from a standards point of view. Um, but then I think it, it's crucial to have a unified platform when growing out into the network. Because later on, if your sites are massively, um, massively growing here, um, it will be a nightmare to manage all of them. So I think it's, it, it will be crucial to keep a consistency, to keep a uniform type of deployment the further you go out of the network. You might change um, the hardware infrastructure to be more optimized for the, for the edge deployments, but I think it's really crucial to avoid having different types of platform while moving out, uh, out into the network so that when you actually, when use cases are coming up for the ecosystem around, around edge, um, then you can quickly react to it and you don't have to deal and you don't have to burn all your resources in managing this this zoo of, of platform stacks. Wow, great so, advice. <laughs> the control plane seems to be one of the big ones that they should keep stable. I guess as you go up the stack, things are going to move faster and quicker. Um, and uh, I imagine that uh, more complexity will happen at the very top end as things move faster. Uh, you know, we see this with the applications doing updates and deployments almost daily now on our smartphones, and yet the phone platform doesn't change for maybe two years on a contract. That's probably a similar uh, model or analogy, if you like, for the telco space. I imagine that, uh, as you're saying, keep the control plane and, and some of those uh, spaces standard and, and, and stable and consistent, but maybe have some uh, flexibility and diversity at the top end of the stack. Yeah, and, and, and this, I think, will, will um, enable the innovation. I mean, we've seen with cloud-native applications and, and microservice design principles that we can innovate much quicker. Um, when we look at our own application development process, which said beforehand as well, is also quite in, becoming quite interesting for our customers. The way how we build applications allows us to easily integrate new functionality into existing systems. And I think this is really seen around this whole cloud-native ecosystem is that we see a, a huge speed in new applications popping up and a very highly automated way to integrate them into systems. And I think this is something which we have to enable across all a customer's uh, network to be able to innovate, particularly when it comes to edge use cases, very quickly. Combining that with an orchestration system and a management system, um, helping you to smartly place and put together those those services which you need to address at use cases. 
Fantastic advice. Well, on that, we're going to wrap up. Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for making time to uh, catch up with me uh, today at the start of your day there in Germany and the end of my day here in Sydney to uh, talk about some of my favourite topics, uh, specifically around network function virtualization, And uh, congratulations on the exciting role uh, being the uh, expert of this whole topic. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon. Thank you very much, Daz.